0: But this week uh, we're starting a new series called Jesus the Foodie. Uh, here's here's why I like this series. Here's here's where the heart from this series comes up. Uh, first of all, I like food. Uh, that's the first one. Uh, I mean, it's just a given, right? Like, uh, you know, I know people who are who are very specific in the things that they eat because they're like, I eat this because it's nutritious for me and it gives me this this protein. I eat stuff because it tastes good or it looks good. Like, that's my criteria, uh, and, uh, so, which is why uh, there, are various, there are specific things I'm, I'm specific about, right? Like, for example, I enjoy a good Reese's cup, all right? That's my favorite candy. I love Reese's cups. However, specifically, the holiday Reese's cups are always better, right? The eggs or the trees or the pumpkins, and there seems like there's always a different one out at a different time of the year. So I never have to settle for a regular Reese's cup. Uh, So there are certain things we get picky about, right? Now, uh, in the Gospels, when we look at these stories from Jesus, so many stories are Jesus eating somewhere. (laughs) So many of the stories. In fact, it's not even just Jesus. When you look at the Old Testament, all of the celebrations, the festivities they would have when they, whether it was the Passover or uh, or the the, uh, oh my goodness, I just lost my word. Uh, anyways, we'll go on. So there were multiple feasts. Every celebration they had was centered around food in some way. Uh, and I have found that culturally, that's one of the things that draws all cultures together is that it doesn't matter what culture you're from, when, we, when you celebrate, almost always celebration involves food. right? When I go to, when I go to Uganda, uh, when they celebrate Christmas, uh, Christmas is the one day a year they will splurge and spend the money to buy meat because meat in Uganda is very expensive. And so even in Uganda, the celebration for Christmas is to eat. And what do we do at Christmas? We eat, right? What do we do when it's Thanksgiving? We eat. Labor Day weekend, we eat. Memorial Day weekend, we eat, right? Food, there's something about food that draws us together. It draws us together. And we see this in the Gospels. We see Jesus drawing people together and being drawn together together by food. <laughs> and so I thought, man, uh, you know, we have this word now that is actually, they've actually added it to the dictionary, a foodie, uh, which is, cracks me up, because in the, in the dictionary, it describes it as someone who likes food. And I went, that's everybody. Like Everybody's a foodie. Uh, but Normally, when you talk about a foodie, you talk about somebody who they've got, like, they're posting pictures of it on their social media. Like, oh, look at this meal I had. They're trying all the different stuff when they go to a new city. And uh, they, they, it's, it's like food is more than just sustenance. It's food is like an activity that you enjoy. You enjoy the, the presentation and the atmosphere and the taste. And it's more than just eating your food. <laughs> and I think that there is more in these stories in Scripture than just people sharing a meal. Jesus always used meals to, to, to bring home some greater point. <laughs> and he always served people through these meals. And so we're going we're gonna to take a dive through a few of these meals over the next five weeks uh, as we look at Jesus the foodie. And so this week, we start in John chapter 2. Uh, John chapter 2, and it's the wedding at Cana. Wouldn't you guess it, they're at a wedding and they're eating and drinking. They're having a great time because that's what happens at weddings, right? You have a celebration, so there's food, there's drink. Uh, I'm going to read specifically John 2, 1 through 10, and uh, here's how it goes. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. "'Dear woman, why do you involve me?' Jesus replied. "'My time has not yet come.' "'His mother said to the servants, "'Do whatever he tells you.' "'Nearby stood six stone water jars, "'the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, "'each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. "'Jesus said to the servants, "'Fill the jars with water.' "'So they filled them to the brim. "'Then he told them, "'Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet.' "'They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water "'that had been turned into wine.' He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Uh, so our, our first food story happens at a wedding. Uh, you know, weddings lately in the U.S. have kind of gone the opposite direction of what they used to be they used to be this ginormous thing and it was in like the most beautiful place you could ever find in your life and it seems like anymore the more popular thing to do is to find someone's barn and everybody wears boots and you just show up and you have a great time and then they get married right now my friends in Uganda take the very opposite approach very much the opposite approach uh this year we were talking through because one of them one of our guys is getting married next summer uh, and so I asked them. I said, "What? How does a wedding normally work for you?" And they said, "Oh, it's the biggest event of your entire life." Whoa. Well, what does that mean? I said, "How much would you spend on a wedding in American dollars?" And they go, "Ah, uh, twenty to 30000 What? <laughs> what? How does that work? How do you How do you get twenty to thirty thousand dollars? And so what they told me was that in Uganda, it's expected that everyone gives whether you're a family member, or a friend, or an acquaintance, or somebody at church, everybody pitches in to make your wedding a success. Everybody sends what they can, and you fund your wedding by everyone else. They said that you, if you're the one getting married, rarely do you put any money into it. And I thought, man, that's the way to go. It's like, it's, it's crowdfunding, right? I start a GoFundMe to fund my wedding, and then I can get whatever I want. And it's this big thing, I mean, everybody and their brother comes to the wedding, and, uh, and we got to go to one a few years ago. It's a huge deal, huge deal. Well, on Jesus Day, they have these, these weddings, and Jesus gets invited. And, and his, it says not just Jesus, but his mother is there and his disciples. They all get invited. It's this big party, right? There's a ton of people, and it says the wine runs out. Now, this is kind of a problem. Uh, Because if you have a big group of people and the wine is all gone, that means two things. First of all, it means you didn't have enough, which means that you were either underfunded or your friends didn't come through for you. (laughs) But just as equally bad as that is if you've run out of wine, it means there's a lot of drunk people. A lot. (laughs) Because you plan, right? You plan for people to drink the wine and then you've run out holy moly, this, in my head, this is a wild party. And so Jesus' mother goes to him and she says, look, there's no more wine. (laughs) We're out of wine. And there's a sort of this implication in her going to Jesus that she expects him to do something about it. Now, what, what we don't know is what exactly her expectations were, right? For all we know, her expectation was, hey, Jesus, we're out of wine. Take this cash and go to the store and get some more. But Jesus, Jesus says, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. And so Jesus has this implication at first that he says that he's expecting that she's expecting something miraculous, <laughs> that she's wanting him to do something huge and crazy about this problem that they've run into, because you don't want to be the, the disgraced family member who, who couldn't afford to feed in, in everyone at your wedding, And so his mother, interestingly, her response is very interesting. He said, she turns to a servant and says, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> so this is an interesting interaction here because Jesus' mother expects him to do something. Jesus' response is, it's not my time yet. And Mary turns to the servant and says, just do whatever he says. <laughs> and it's this expectation that you see of this honoring your father and your mother, right? Right? Mom has asked me for help, and I can help, so I'm going to help. And so we see Jesus, even though he's at this party, everyone's having a great time, and it's a wedding, it's a day of celebration, Jesus here sort of submits to his own mother. And so how does he do that? It says that nearby there were six stone water jars, uh, the kind used for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So six of them at 20 to 30 gallons you do the math it's 120 to 180 gallons of wine <laughs> gallons <laughs> and so jesus tells him fill the jars with water and so they fill them up all the way to the brim and he says now draw it out and take it to the master he doesn't even like he doesn't doesn't say he prayed over it or lay hands on it or anything he says he says do this and it's going to be great and and what you kind of get the implication in this next one it says that the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine and he did not realize where it had come from so so you kind of get this implication that it still looked like water (laughs) right because you're not going to put the wine in the basins that are holding the ceremonial washing right so it still looks like the water you have to imagine what's going through this guy's mind when he brings in these these 20 to 30 gallon basins he says here try this But it was so good that he calls the bridegroom and he says, look, most people bring out the best wine first. All right? And this is, this is a simple logistical thing. You bring out the best wine first when everybody can still taste it. You bring out the best wine first because once everybody's gone, once everybody's had a few to drink, they're not going to care what it tastes like. So you bring out the good stuff first and then you bring out the leftover stuff, the cheap stuff. He says, but you saved the best till now. So, not only did Jesus make wine, he turned water into really good wine. <laughs> and imagining the amount of wine they went through at this party, it was really good wine. <laughs> so, why, why does that matter? <laughs> there's, a lot, there's a lot in this story that, that we could draw out. My focus today is really on this last part Jesus made really good wine. The lesson we're supposed to learn in this is not uh, that we all need to be really good at making wine. <laughs> you can be. I mean, there's, sure, you could do that. Here's here's what I want you to see this morning. First of all, Jesus. This was not something that Jesus had uh, had prepared ahead of time, right? He hadn't he hadn't gone to the wedding going, I'm going to do something cool. <laughs> now, to be fair, did he know that this would happen? Maybe. But I don't think he went to the wedding planning and intending to make 120 to 180 gallons of wine. He went to the wedding to support his friend, to support his mom, because she's there. But when his mother asks, even though he says, my time has not yet come, still he comes through with it. So Jesus, in this story, serves people. He serves people, even though He didn't necessarily want to. (laughs) Now, that's important for a number of reasons, and it's a great lesson for all of us to learn because sometimes when we think about servanthood, when we think about serving people, sometimes it's a drag, right? Because it means you have to devote time outside of your normal schedule to go and serve somebody, right? Very rarely when someone needs served is it a convenient moment in your life. Now, there are, there are times where we certainly can schedule in some serving to, to help people. So, for example, when you, when you sign up to volunteer at church, you kind of know that if you sign up to help in the kids' classrooms on Sunday mornings, that occasionally on Sunday mornings it's your turn, you've, you've been scheduled to serve. But for the most part, most of us, the serving opportunities that God puts in front of us are unscheduled, right? They're the... They're the They're the guy on the side of the road with the flat tire when we're in a hurry to get to our appointment. They're the inconvenient moments. They're moments we're not prepared for. And Jesus here, in that moment, chooses to serve anyway. Why? Because he could. (laughs) Because he could do what they needed. We talked talked a couple of weeks ago about this sort of hurry culture that we have. And and part of that is why this is so hard to serve even when we don't feel like it, even when we're in a hurry, even when we're busy, to to take a moment and just help someone. It's why it's so difficult. It's because we have all these schedules we feel like we need to keep. And so Jesus serves even, even when he didn't necessarily want to. But here's what's really cool about this story. A lot of times when we're put into an awkward moment where, where we're in that hurry and, and we have somebody who needs our help, somebody calls and they need something or somebody, we, we notice something that needs done. And sometimes it's not even necessarily the, the, the roadside assistance type service. Sometimes it's, we notice that, uh, that the, the rose bushes at the church when we come in on Sunday, we notice that the rose, roses are a little overgrown. And we think, somebody should take care of those. You know, my favorite, answer, my favorite answer whenever somebody comes to me and they go, Pastor, we should try this. My favorite thing to say is, you're right. How are you going to do that? <laughs> because if, if we notice it's something that's on our heart, we should just take care of it. And we, I see this happening again and again with our folks. Whenever, whenever we notice something needs done, we just kind of take care of it. And that's what Jesus does here. But the most important thing is he does this and he does it well. He doesn't just do it. He does it with excellence. <laughs> there's, a, there's a phrase that floats around all the time. and It's this. Well, it's the thought that counts. Right? It's the thought that counts. <laughs> and I, I push back on that phrase this morning. <laughs> because in some aspects, you're right. Like, to be obedient, sometimes it's I'm going to do this even though it's a struggle for me, I'm going to do it because I know I should. But Jesus in that moment didn't just complete the task, he did it with excellence. He did it to the best he could possibly do it. Jesus Jesus knew at this point he could have turned that that wine into the worst tasting wine on the planet and the people still would have drank it. <laughs> but he didn't. He made it into a wine that was so good it blew the guy's mind. <laughs> He says, where was this when the party started? So the challenge to us in this is is not just not just to serve when it's inconvenient, but to serve and do it with excellence. To put our best forward even when we don't want to. (laughs) Even when we when we don't feel like people deserve it. Right? Like, look, the wine is gone. Right? If I'm Jesus in this situation, the wine is gone. Most of the people around me are probably drunk. And if they ask me to get them more wine, I could tell you what my answer is going to be. Why? <laughs> Why do you need more? <laughs> Sometimes the reason that we don't put our best foot forward is because we have made this, this little judgment in our head that, that the person we're serving or the organization we're serving or whatever it is that we're trying to help that I'll help them because I feel obligated but I don't but I, I don't think that they deserve the absolute best they don't need the absolute best but the church Christians should be the place where people receive the absolute best that we can give. Because Jesus gives us the absolute best that He can give. He gives His best in John 2 when He's at this wedding and He gives them wine that is so good they can't believe it. He gives His best when He spends three years, almost every moment of His life, with these 12 guys even though he knows one of them is going to betray him and that others are going to stray from the path, he still gives his best, his very life, for these 12 guys. You know, if Jesus, if Jesus took the attitude that it's the thought that counts, I don't know that you and I would be here today. Jesus put his very best forward for every single person, no matter, no matter if the, he felt they deserved it or not. <laughs> because for most of us, <laughs> most of us, we didn't deserve it. And it's why, it's why we celebrate so profusely. Over, you know, over the years, the biggest, best celebration in the church over the years has been communion. Because we remember that Jesus gave his absolute best, in fact, him very, his very self, right? Jesus, who lived a perfect life, right? Jesus, here's what blows my mind about these stories. Jesus didn't do things just just with excellence. He went a step further. He did everything he did with perfection. That's even beyond excellence. And it's why we make such a huge deal out of communion, because we're remembering that Jesus would give even his own life to serve you and me, He would give even his own life for us. (laughs) Not second best, but the best. And so this morning...